Hooper now offloads. Oh, so close, still short. Glaubanga. There he is! He's over! Hello and welcome back to the Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. We are diehard rugby fans having a weekly chat about all things Aussie rugby. We're real, family-friendly and positive, so get involved. Get involved. Oh yeah. Ando, how are you? Welcome back to the pod. Mate, it's good. Uh, Yeah, things things are good. I managed to work my sleep schedule last night really, really well. So got up early to watch the Australia-Scotland game at about 4, 4 4.30 a.m. And yeah, ready and raring to go, mate. Feel on top of the world, apart from the fact that we lost. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you've probably done better than I have because I actually got up at 1 a.m. Sydney time to watch it and really regret that now, considering the performance (laughs) that was on show and the fact that I've now got little sleep. But... Um, we've got a great pod lined up. We do have some exciting guests, hopefully joining us later on. It's going to be a little bit ad hoc, but we'll get through it and we'll see who jumps on and what ends up happening there. So stay tuned. We won't reveal everyone who potentially might join us in case they don't make it through, but it is going to be very exciting. So Ando, why don't you take us through our social media platforms and then I'll take us through what we're going to cover tonight. Yeah, let's do that. And I think we also need to mention that Rev has basically just ditched us tonight. Mm. He was like, hey, yeah, guys, I'll be there. And then he got a better offer for a really nice succulent Chinese meal with his wife. Um, and he, he's just caught out at that succulent Chinese meal. So we'll see if he kind of does a does a runner and actually pays a bill or not to get here in time. We'll <laughs> see. But he might be joining us a little bit later. Regardless... Rev, we miss you and I hope you enjoy your meal. So you can find us on Instagram at hashtag pick underscore drive underscore rugby, Facebook at the Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast, and a big one that we interact with pretty regularly is Twitter at pick underscore drive rugby. One thing I'll quickly say is if you're a fan of the show, you've been listening for a while, we'd really appreciate your reviews. If you can head along to um, Apple Podcasts, that would be fantastic and leave us a review there. It really helps with kind of um, our ratings, our visibility and all that kind of thing. So thank you so much for your support and that would be wonderful. Mitch, back to you. Awesome. So we're actually, we're not just on Apple Podcasts. So we are on Spotify. Mm -hmm. We are on, Mm -hmm. I think, most platforms everything everything. whatever you're listening to us on do give us a like and a follow and tell your friends as well so the more people we can get listening to the rugby gospel the better but what we're going to do tonight so we do have a lot of games to get through we will just touch on some of them we'll go into others in more detail but it will be exciting to chat through what happened over the weekend with pretty pretty much the first round of the autumn nation series Um, And then we will focus a little bit more in detail on the Wallabies game later. We will finish things off with the listener questions and enter the locker room. We got so many questions come in this week. It's fantastic to see that when the Wallabies actually play, play well or not so well, everyone has an opinion. So thank you so much to everyone that got involved. I don't know if we'll get through everyone's questions because there's just so many of them, but it's a really good uh, problem to have and we love hearing from you all so do follow us on social media and do send us your questions and your comments because we Mate, do i love some of the i love some of the hot takes that come through like did you know that if taniello took post started the game we would have won by the 20th minute oh yeah definitely and like and- there's not another 60 minutes to play after that so we just would have called the game off because we would have won so much because he's won the game for us the previous times that he's played the first half? Oh, like- there's a few different... <laughs> depending on who you look at, there's different There's different players. Some are calling for Jock to be that... Uh, for uh, McDermott, sorry, to be that player. 
Quade Cooper, another one. So, <laughs> depending on who you're talking to, who's where it's coming from, which part of Australia someone else is winning the game, we've got a different outcome. So, bring back Quade. Bring back Quade is all that I can say. Maybe we need to maybe we need to start like a change.org or like one of those petitions and just petition RA to somehow over. You know what we should do? Do a GoFundMe. That's do it. Do a GoFundMe. Go except the money comes to us. Oh, that's selfish. <laughs> I know. That's why I think it's great. We get people behind it, help invest back into the pod, get some get some merch going, get some quality mics, quality backgrounds. Like this sounds great. This is all for the good of Australian rugby. So okay. Okay. look, we've got our master plan going. Why don't we jump into the weekend's games? Let's get into it. Now we're going to start chatting about the weekend's matches, but before we do, Rev, welcome to the pod. How is your succulent Chinese meal? <laughs> It tastes like democracy manifest. Um, no, it's it's nice to be. I, I felt quite guilty. I missed the last few, and I'm like, oh, no, I'll get to this one. And whenever I see the times, I'm selfish. I'm thinking Queensland time, the Sunshine State. It, you know, I think most people around the world are thinking Queensland time. No, so <laughs> nobody's thinking Queensland no, no. time. <laughs> It's a anyway, sad section, yeah. It's good for you to be here, mate. Um, so well, you were just telling us before, you actually caught almost all of the games across the weekend, you mad lad. Yeah, I um, just kept staying up for them. I, I sat down on the couch and I got myself comfy, so I'm like, if I fall asleep, you know, so be it. But um, some of the games were exciting enough to keep me up, so I was, you know, I'll, I'll just go through it all. Yeah. Well, we're going to be tracking through a whole bunch of those games. And the first match from the weekend that was really a surprise in the nature of the victory for Ireland was Ireland 60, Japan 5. I personally was incredibly surprised at the honestly insipid display that Japan put up against Ireland. Now, Ireland were good. Ireland were incisive, particularly in the backline plays. But God, the Japanese defence was shocking, particularly their wide defence. The amount of times that Ireland just got around their rush defence so easily was really, really shocking. Um, Mitch, did you have much of a chance to catch up with this game? Yeah, I watched uh, the majority of the first half live and was quite disappointed because if anyone remembers last week, I was talking Japan up as, you know, being up and comers and really going to take it to Ireland this week and we'll see a rematch of the 2019 World Cup game where they beat them and that did not eventuate at all. So very disappointing from a Japanese perspective, uh, but a very, very good performance from this Irish side and they were very dominant. So, you know, hats off to them. They did very well. And I think a big shout out also needs to go to Jonathan Sexton for such a convincing 100th test cap victory. He's a bit of a legend of the game. He seems to have been around forever. How old is he? 34, 35 now? Mm. Yeah, um, I think 34 at the moment. And I think he yeah. only made his test debut when he was 24. Jeez. Plus, somewhere. he's only played about 10 games outside of the Irish team for Leinster because they just never play any games except for like the cup finals and stuff. <laughs> so he's he's got a pretty good um, situation there that's kind of extending his career and why even at 34, he's still going quite well. Uh, Rev, what were some of your quick takeaways from this game before we move on? Um, for me, James Lowe, I'm always going to have eyes yeah. set on him. I, I thought he... I mean, and back in the day, I, I used to love watching him carve up for the Chiefs. He's always been such an explosive winger. He's got these powerful legs that just are so deceptive. You don't think he's going to break through tackles the way he does. Um, but more impressively, he's sort of got that understated Len Ikatao boot where he can just hoof it so far. You're not really expecting him to do that. I think now in the uh, international scene, they've caught on to him. Um, so I thought his form was awesome. And also the forwards, they interplayed so well. Um, there were so many offloads. Yeah. Someone put up a good stat. Um, I think the amount of offloads they 
did in the first half was about the same as the amount they did in the Six Nations. You know, like they were just keeping that ball alive because they realised Japan are dominating the tackles, but they're not looking for the wider shot. They're just trying to shut things down quickly. So um, credit to them for exploiting that and really taking Japan to task. Yeah, and can we just give a quick shout out to the Autumn Nation series website? The statistics that they have available on that site for each of their games are absolutely incredible. So one of the key things that is really impressive is they've got statistics for like points per visit to the 22. Um, that kind of level is just what you love to see because that's looking at the efficiency of teams to be able to score points we're in the right zone. But just looking at some of the stats, like Ireland had 63% possession, 68% territory, um, three points per visit, 3.3 points per visit to the 22 compared to 1.2 for Japan. Um, they had... How damning uh, is this stat? Time in opposition 22. Ireland had five <laughs> minutes and 41 seconds. Japan had 26 seconds. Yep. That doesn't just show you the disparity in this game. I don't know what does. Yeah. Um, I think if we go back to Rev's comments there, it was particularly nice to see the Lenny Ikatel love or the Lenny love coming through really early because there's so much that I want to talk to about that man when we get to the Wolbies uh, game. But let's keep moving on with the other matches from the weekend. And next up, we had Italy hosting New Zealand. And to be honest, this was a pretty decent pretty decent attempt from Italy at this point. Uh, they were definitely within the game in the first half before a few late tries really blew it open for New Zealand. But before we continue, I just need to say a um, massive, massive welcome once he actually joins and gets his mic and stuff of like that going to uh, Matt. Hey. Matt from Raging Boar Productions, as his Zoom handle says. Matt, how you doing? Your mic is off because it automatically mutes you as you enter. <laughs> can you hear me? Oh, we can. Wow. We are, we are, we are recording live, mate. How are you? Oh, brilliant. Oh, I'm very well, gentlemen. Uh, good good morning to me and good evening to you. <laughs> now, for those of you who don't know, Matt is from Gold Digger Productions. And um, Matt, you've got something that's pretty exciting coming out. Just quickly plug it one more time for those of us who aren't in the know. Well, the, 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 the original purpose of this was to make a feature documentary, which um, we have finished. Post-production is done and uh, we're on the verge of being able to allow, uh, announce some release dates for the film. I can't give you any. I, I will be happily give you guys an exclusive when I can uh, get some dates, but um, it will be a staggered release. So I think you're going to see uh, a bit like we see with the frustrating rugby broadcasts around the world. It sort of gradually gets announced in uh, different regions and different countries, but Hopefully Australia's release will be will be very soon. Exactly. Well, that sounds super exciting. And I know I'm ready for the gold carpet invite that's going to come in the mail really soon. I'll give you my address later. Uh, now, we're just moving into the Italy-New Zealand game. So did you get to catch much of this match, Matt? I, I didn't. Funny enough, this was probably the one on the, the week's count, uh, schedule that I decided to give a, a miss to. Um, but I actually wish I'd watched a little bit of it because it sounded as though the, the All Blacks were a bit frustrating and, and erratic. And, and I think that would have been actually interesting to watch to see now, how they were getting rattled. Mitch, you had a pretty good, um, you had a good opportunity to watch the first half and quite a bit of detail and had some thoughts on Italy. Why don't you speak to that? Yeah, I was really impressed with Italy. I We were talking last week of expecting New Zealand to come out with the side that they named and really put a lot of points on. But Italy did very well in shutting a lot of New Zealand's attack down and there was a lot of spilt ball and a lot of missed opportunities from New Zealand. And again, it's one of those scenarios where if a team can really get inside the head of the All Blacks, they, the All Blacks end up becoming their own worst enemy. And so I was watching that very excited for the first sort of 30 minutes of that first half. 
thinking that maybe we had an upset on our hands and that Italy was going to run through and, and get this massive upset against New Zealand. Went to bed at half time and woke up the next morning and looked at the final result and was a bit in, in shock, really. But <laughs> I guess that's what's expected. It should really have been expected. It really yeah. shouldn't have been a shock, should it? No. And I mean, that's one of the fascinating things. I mean, we're talking about New Zealand not playing particularly well, Italy stepping up. And I mean, New Zealand won 47 to 9. So, <laughs> I mean, we can say as much as we want, but they still won by 38 points here, okay? Now, Rev, what were your summer takeaway, some of your takeaways for this game? Did you see this as a result of New Zealand's uh, significant shifting of their roster from last week to this week? Do you think it was Italy really stepping up? How did you rate this game? It was a little bit of both. Um, Italy's defence was really impressive for the first part, but for me, um, Braden Enor, holy... Dooley, just what an absolute shocker of a match he had. Um, I wouldn't even have him in the Wallabies squad. And how often do we say that about someone that's starting for the All Blacks that they wouldn't make? The, like, he's he's a bum. Um, he, <laughs> and Because I like he's young, he's exciting, he's quick. Like, he is the person the Crusaders, they're the most quick to talk up about, oh, over 40 metres, no one's better. I've never seen someone have a worse start to a match. I think in the first six minutes, two knock-ons and a forward pass yep. for an All Black. Yep. Um, and against a team that, you know, is a tier one team, but isn't really set in the world a lot. So the set that stood out to me, 60 minutes while Enel was on, they're winning 21 to nine. He hops off, they win 26 nil in that 20 or so minutes. Um, he, he just was really clogging up that midfield. And once they got rid of him, um, the head opened up a little bit more. I think a good point just got before though. Um, if the Wallabies won 47 to nine, and that was deemed a bad game, we would be cheering if that was our regular, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that just doesn't happen for us. So, like, awesome that New Zealand could still get the uh, win and be so dominant, but I really don't think many players, you know, stood up and said, pick me for the best team. I think um, this game probably showed, yeah, these are the second stringers for the most part, and, you yeah, know, we can see why. Yep, completely agreed. Now, Matt, shifting across, you're based in England. Did you get a chance to watch the England-Tonga match or uh, head out to it by any chance? I didn't head out to it. I did see some of it. Um, I, I was in, in, in between a few things on a, on a, on a Saturday afternoon. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I watched it because I was very interested to see what they would do uh, minus uh, Owen Farrell, mm. who was a, a late withdrawal due to um, getting COVID. Um, and, of course, players like Marcus Smith, who, who interestingly didn't start, which mm. was, um, which was, was uh, interesting. But he came on and I think created a lot of impact. I thought the Tongan team did well. They they really tried to restrict, and, and whether or not that was England not uh, finding second gear, but they certainly um, took it to them, and I don't think it was a, a disgrace. I think the the week before was pretty poor from them. They they didn't really fire against uh, not even a full strength Scotland team, but I thought they fronted up um, a week later against England at Twickenham and, and did pretty well. I'm quite concerned about the match next week for Australia versus England because you just saw some moments that demonstrated the kind of heart, intensity and passion that they have bring, coming into this. So Marcus Smith coming on later in the game, I think they were easing him back from his hamstring tweak earlier in the week. Um, and that's why he didn't start. But that Courtney Laws uh, chase down that he managed to get on the um, Tongan player who made the break for their potential only try, that was just an amazing effort, try scoring, uh, try saving tackle. And that to me just exemplified this hunger that I see. And I go, hmm, that's worrying to go up against the Twickenham next week. Rev, what was what was your feeling watching that game? Um, 
A few things stood out because this is the first time we've seen Eddie Jones experiment for a little while. Um, he's been really consistent with his team for the most part. And the forwards stuck to script. Um, you know, Johnny Hills, he might not be a name we're all familiar with, but he's, you know, a line and he's doing really well. Ellis Genge, uh, he captained England, um, you know, while all the lines were out. And I thought he did a great job. But yeah, for me, the players that stood out, um, pretty stupid at fullback, 196 centimetres, 106 kilos. Like he's huge. Yep. Um, and at a time where we don't have a nailed on fullback, where we don't necessarily have um, the best kicking game. Um, and this is just based off last week. And I know when we've got a full strength team, it changes a bit, but um, that, that could be a real concern, especially if they go for that Smith Farrell axis. But this game, how good is Adam Radwan? Like he's yeah. just every time that, you know, and we see this just because of the depth of numbers that England have in professional rugby, but every time they change over, we got to keep in mind they've got 12 teams of production lines of talent just pumping um, players. There are 13 teams this year in the Premiership. Um, so this guy's come out of nowhere and it's just an absolute gun. Um, so I- I'm I'm concerned as well for this week. Yeah, and Adam Radwan is rated as being the fastest player in English rugby. He plays for Newcastle Falcons, which has been lighting up the recent couple of seasons. So it's very a very well-deserved call-up for him. So huge congratulations to him. And he, hey, the, the Louis Liner dream is still alive, guys. I, I know. Yeah. He hasn't spent a minute on the field yet, so it's, it's not too late. <laughs> Sign him up this week. Sign him up. Let's get him on. We need a winger. So Actually, no, we don't. We've got enough wingers in the team. Philippe Duncan, who can get a run. But anyway, we keep trying yeah. to bring it back to the Wallabies. Let's, before we, let's before we go off this game, does anyone know what happened with the jerseys? Was there any reason why England were wearing the red jersey and and uh, Tonga was wearing a white jersey? Like, they've swapped colours. What, what's going on there? I, 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 I can only put it down to them wanting to just, um, you know, there might, might be a commercial deal where they have to sort of, um, you know, sort of have an alternate strip. Uh, certainly, they're going to always want to try and make money about by having more merchandise, but it, it did seem a bit odd, especially for Tonga not to play their their um you know their tip, their, their normal traditional red. I suppose they're the away team. Maybe that's an impact, yeah. that has an impact. Yeah, I don't know. I I kind of like the jersey. I thought it was looking good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know. I know. It was just odd to see both teams just swap colours. You just think it would make sense if they just kept their own original ones. Yeah. But anyway, well, it was very hard because when you, t- you 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 turn on straight away and you're watching England. Um, uh, expecting to watch England and you see a team white, you know, you, it did sort of take me about 30 seconds to figure out what was going on. Yeah, exactly. And all of a sudden, now, the team in white's the one not scoring points, and the red team's doing really well. <laughs> and you're going, wow, Tonga's doing really well. Wait a minute. <laughs> People may have noticed that there's a certain person who's got a lot of uh, notoriety over the last couple of weeks that we have not been mentioning. That person may well have instigated or been the cause of a really significant event in the Wales-South Africa match where a streaker came onto the pitch and interrupted what potentially could have been a pretty decisive and crucial try for Wales against South Africa. So Wales ended up going down 18 to 23. And there's been some just contention, some argument that maybe, maybe it was um, this, the fault of this kind of streaker that came onto the field that disrupted the attacking play and wasn't the direct cause, but just had an influence in the outcome. So Mitch, uh, did you get to catch much of this game? And what were some of your takeaways from what was a pretty gritty performance 
points from two teams who aren't really renowned for playing expansive or attacking rugby. Yeah, I, I didn't get a chance to watch this one. I've seen some of the highlights for it, uh, but with yep. the pack schedule that was up this weekend, there was always going to be one game that slipped away. Unfortunately, right. it was the South Africa game, but um, I will, I'm happy that I got the, the points in the tipping. I said South Africa by 10, which was close. So ish, close, close ish. Well, I got the um, point. Close. You did, you did. Now, reliable rev. You you caught this game somehow. You caught every bloody game. So uh, let's go. What were your takeaways from this match? Um, the big thing for this was Wales show that they're missing a lot of their key forwards. Um, they did a great job uh, to stay in the match through tactical kicking. Uh, Dan Bigger had an awesome performance. I thought he was fantastic. I thought Ellis Jenkins did a really good job filling in um, as one of the flankers and. Tane Basham as well is quite exciting. They did a pretty good job of just securing ball and giving them the chance to work downfield. But it was really, you know, it's against South Africa, so this, you know, take the parent salt, but it was just really interesting seeing they had no go forward. Um, they could not for the life of them make any um, game line carries. It was just constantly getting pushed behind. So they do three or four hit-ups uh, before they had to kick again. And it just kind of looked like one of these matches where, they won't be able to do it forever because they were leading most of the match. Um, and yeah, it just it seemed like a really, really tough ask for them to actually try and get forward and show that they could assert themselves against um, the string box. And, you know, you had that feeling the whole time. Whichever team scores a try first will win. And ended up being South Africa. They got the solo try and, you know, were able to hold it out. So an, an impressive performance. Definitely the best uh, test match of that night. Um, up until that point, definitely felt like a test match. Yep. Um, but yeah, I, I just I'd love to see Wales at full strength because I feel like they're just a few ball carriers off being um, able to you know push it to the spring box a bit more. Yeah, and I think that one of the things that really came through for me was just the fact that South Africa really kind of disappoint me so much of the time when I'm watching them because you know what they have in them. The matches that they played against New Zealand at the end of the Rugby Championships demonstrated the capacity they have to play brutal, physical, but also um, expansive rugby that are exploiting the weaknesses of the opposition. And this was just another reversion back to their type where they just played really conservatively. And I just didn't find, I, I feel like South Africa could be so much more. And I feel like they're hemming themselves in within a particular style of play that can grind out wins, but is gonna be really, difficult to consistently challenge the best teams in the world. Um, that's kind of my little rant on that. Matt, anything you want to add on this before we move on for the final match of the weekend, France-Argentina, aside from England, Australia, Scotland, of course? Yeah, I mean, I watched this game. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I've got to say it was, oh, uh, I what? It was quite gripping. <laughs> um, I, I think for, for me now that we know that South Africa are going to play a certain way, it's, it's almost um, entertaining to see if anyone can kind of break through that and then force them on the back foot. And I think Wales did. They, you're exactly right, Trevor, though. Their, their forward pack seemed uh, not decimated, but they certainly weren't as, as strong. Um, I think they called up a few players who have been playing URC and, you know, seemed to do okay. But that, um, you know, the little moments in the game that I thought were entertaining. I think, in, you know, in fairness with the, the streaker, although I think, thankfully he wasn't a streaker because he had all his clothes on. Um, <laughs> I don't think we wanted to see him with the clothes off. But he, um, you know, how does that explain how Wales kept losing their line out? You know, and I think there are those little moments that were pretty like set pieces against the spring box you just can't sort of lose those because those crucial little possession moments make made a, a huge difference in a tight game but i think look the only thing takeaway from me 
as as, an, as a man who is getting on in age was to see um the old the old Fran Stein um <laughs> running around I think someone yep. described as having a dad bod he certainly doesn't look like a trim a trim fullback but came on early subbed in and got man of the match and I just thought did not look like he was going to make yards when he had the ball in hand and somehow had the most amount of carries all game it was just that was spectacular to watch it's an absolute legend. He popped one over from what fifty-five meters out in the pouring, driving rain as well, and and, and the kick as well. Yeah, I mean that mm. was. And that's, that's what I'm saying. It was those little moments for me made the game. And just yeah. thought, wow. Aside from all the gritty, um, you know, ten-man rugby going on, um, there were some real moments of excitement. Now moving on to France Argentina, which is the final game that we'll speak to before we get into the detail of Scotland Australia. I was honestly expecting. Um, probably expecting a little bit more of this French outfit yeah. with the quality of players they have, particularly in the back line and just some of the dynamism within their forward pack. I was thinking that they'd really get it, have a bit more of a dominant display against Argentina. That being said, Argentina's game improved quite significantly. And I think it's probably the best performance of the year. Um, they really were pretty poor throughout the rugby championship. And this, in my mind, was a pretty solid showing from them, particularly within the forwards. Um, I think Thomas Cubelli made a really big impact as well. I think that maybe Nicolas Sanchez coming back into the team, at least off the bench this time, might be a really positive thing for them moving forward. Probably should go into the starting team moving forward because of the kind of control that he can have over the game and settle that back line down. Um, let's go with Mitch. I'll start off to you, mate, because I've thrown to the others the first a few times. Uh, what did you enjoy about this game? I enjoyed seeing the French players play. Um, there were some of the players that played in the series against Australia early in the year. And there's so many people banding around and saying that was like a third string side and, you know, five of those players then match up and, and play for for France in this, this series was goes to show that there's a secession plan there and these players were picked on credit. So um, that, as a Wallabies fan, that, that was good to see from a purely um, selfish perspective. But uh, I, I did, Argentina played well, but they still have that problem of, just ill discipline and giving away silly penalties all the time and just like halting their momentum. They're never able to, uh, well, they weren't in this game particularly able to really apply pressure to France for an extended period of time because they gave away a silly penalty or someone would push one of the players and there'd be a little bit of argy-bargy. And we know that that's what Argentina is, like that's Argentinian rugby. But there comes a point where you're going to have to, change that because you're not going to be able to win test matches against teams who can just kick points from anywhere um so that was a little bit disappointing yep rev yeah for me i was keen to see um the access of dupont um uh, and intermac i thought that would be a really exciting combination what we saw was it was probably a little bit too much going on they're they're all sort of uh, mavericks or playmakers in their own right that can sort of ignite things individually uh, and so they didn't really combine as well as i was hoping um, they actually probably looked a bit better than Jonathan Dante came on the massive inside mm. center that was sort of causing havoc against us. Um, but yeah, their back row, they're just producing some really quality players as well. So um, Cameron Wocky, we saw um, come to Australia. He was great. Um, Seko Makalu, uh, who came off the bench and the fact that they could have him and Gregory Aldrich come on, um, you know, with 20 minutes or so to go, really damaging players. Um, they're also without their normal captain, Charles Olivon. So they've just got, you know, a back row for days. Um, they're going to be a really exciting team to watch. 
The player that stood out probably most was um, Melvin Jaminet. I thought he's done a really good job at fullback. And for someone that started the year in the Pro de Tour and hasn't played a lot of top-tier rugby, he's looking very comfortable. Um, great boot on him. He's really safe under the high ball. He's quite big. Um, so I'm keen to see a bit more of him. But um, I, I think the thing that changed Argentina the most, because this, this was their best performance this year, I'd say. Um, Kibeli coming in helped. Buffelli at fullback, I think that's probably the best fit. They've chopped and changed fullback a lot. Uh, and they finally put Matias Moroni at outside centre. Um, they gave a lot of time to, I think it's Santiago Chocobaris. He got a, a fair few minutes there. and He's been solid, but Moroni is a bit more X-factor. So they looked better. Um, I'm keen to see them have another crack in the next two games. I think they're versing Italy, which you know they should hopefully get a win and then a chance against Ireland. So uh, hopefully they can finish the year strong. Yeah, brilliant. And I think that this France team is really kind of the up and coming team within world rugby at the moment. We know how good New Zealand are. We know how good England can be and where South Africa are at as well. I think this front, this French team, with all respect to like Australia and Wales and Scotland and Ireland, all respect to us, um, the French team is the one that's really going to be challenging for that pole position in the coming years, especially with the home World Cup coming up. Um, so soon they are positioning themselves perfectly well for a run into a home world cup matt some of the takeaways from this match before we move into really the main course for the weekend no look i i thought i'd given up on rugby for the night after the wales south africa and then i left the tv on and this came on and i think there was a bit of brouhaha in the first 10 minutes and a lot of passion of the the great anthems and i was like how could i not sit spend another two hours watching rugby and, and it, <laughs> from that perspective i really felt that it was uh it really engaged me because it was just a lot Riding on the two, the, the French and the, the the Latin lovers, it was just, uh, and there was a lot of that. But uh, I think, right, I think it was the bizarrely enough, the cool headedness of some of the French players that actually saw them through. I thought Jalamay's kicking was probably the difference, and um, you know, uh, yeah, really interesting match. I think Argentina v Italy will be very a very good game to watch next year, no, next week. Great. Well, I think what we might do is move on here. We've had so many games to talk through briefly. Sorry if we couldn't give your nation or your team a more detailed review, but such is the nature of Romania life. And Uruguay? Uruguay? No, <laughs> sorry, mate. Can't go to the tier two stuff. Um, although Portugal beat Canada, didn't they? Yes. They did. That's big. Yeah. Another sad indictment on the state of North, North American rugby. Um, good but, for Australia's yeah. Rugby World Cup bid. That's all I'll say. That's, that's a very good point. Okay, cool. Well, why don't we finish this here and then move into the Scotland-Australia match. Sound good? Let's go. Lovely. Let's go. So we're here to talk about the game of the round, the one everyone was holding out for, saving the best for last, the Wallabies versus Scotland. Uh, and before we get into the meat and uh, the, the real crux of the matter is that what we want to do is just discuss one of the Wallabies um, who's hung up the boots this week. Um, so very sadly, um, announced via social media, we had Dane Haley-Petty uh, call an end to his international uh, rugby career. So unfortunately for him, he copped a straight elbow, I believe, from Geordie Barrett um, at the end of last year and just since then has not been able to really get over his concussion symptoms. Um, you know, he, he was a real stalwart for the Wallabies over a time where he was filling in spots on the wing and the fullback for us. Um, and really someone that I think right now we would have loved to have had given the the worst we've had trying to fill that 15 jersey. So, you know, very sad for him. And we wish him all the best for, uh, you know, life post-rugby. Hopefully he can still get the Japanese contract down the track if he does end up recovering at all. But, um, you know, I, I think he's in for a long feature because he's a very smart uh, rugby brain. He's probably got 
uh, offers coming in by the droves uh, to get him involved in some sort of setup. So we'll move on to the actual result. Um, something even sadder than hearing about Dan Hale at his retirement, which was the very narrow loss to Scotland. So 15 to 13, we just uh, went down to them in a really good test match. Um, you know, it might not have been the result we wanted, but it was a really fascinating watch. We can go into all the stats and look at how things played out because there's a lot of great talking points. But, um, and I'll, I'll throw to you first. What did you think watching this match? What, what were your emotions just as we sort of ebbed and flowed uh, while going up and down and, you know, leading and falling behind a bit throughout the match? I had a strange sense of calm over me as I was watching a game. I'm not normally like this. Normally I'm far more angry or disappointed or just like riding the emotions of the game. But maybe just sitting in my kind of armchair with a cup of coffee at 4am in the morning just made me just chill a little bit more. I had to be quiet because of the kids in the house. And um, it was, look, I, I wasn't too upset by the result. I think that there were some really significant opportunities for improvement within the Wallaby setup and, and silly mistakes that Wallabies players shouldn't be making. But I, I genuinely hashtag in Rennie we trust. <laughs> genuinely, I feel that way. And you've got players like Tom Wright giving away a stupid penalty for trying to slow down a quick ball. Um, and I just go, he won't ever do that again. Like he's, he's, he's young. Well, I guess we could say he's inexperienced. He's not going to make that mistake again. Um, you could probably say the same about uh, some of Izzy Parisi's offload that, that um, time where he got stripped right at the end. He's not going to make that mistake again. He's going to go a little bit lower into contact and yeah, bring the ball at, down. Like, look at Curtly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. That, I'm not mentioning Curtly. Um, so, yeah, look, there's just players within this and mistakes that were made that I think this is the sign of a team that is still young and inexperienced. And they've been getting better and they are still getting better. And we're probably going to lose next week against England, but we're going to be getting better. And so that's kind of my mantra, my takeaway. Like I, I trust the path and I trust the direction that this team is going. And there were some really good moments within this game, which I'm holding on to. I won't go into it yet, so I'll let others speak. But yeah, like there's so much good that can come. I was okay with what happened. And, and look, you're right. There was a lot of good. And I think a lot of fans right now are choosing those two paths of, do I either want to go down the optimistic route or do I want to have a look at, okay, what was me? We just lost um, all this stuff, you know, went wrong. And it's really up for um, dealer's choice as to how you feel about this match. Um, Matt, how do you feel about this match? I mean, it was a close loss, but are you as upbeat? No, oh, probably not. And I think you guys know where I come from on a lot of these things. I, looking sad, at sad. the bigger picture. <laughs> dude, look, in, look, I'm in England. It's depressing. Winter's coming. I've got to you know, face the environment. Yeah. Um, but it, it definitely, look, I, I tipped it Scotland and my tip got up and, and reluctantly, I might say. But for me, it was just looking at the preparation the Wallabies had leading in with, you know, players joining the tour, not joining the tour, guys coming in last minute. Obviously, there's some injuries. Um, and, you know, initially I was like, well, you know, we've, we've had those sorts of adversities, adversities before. But then looking at the Scotland team who, you know, are very settled. You know, Finn Russell, I think, is in some of the best form of his life. Yep. Ali Price is, is really, you know, a good solid halfback. And then their back row, um, you know, I don't think Hamish Watson is, is, the, is the equal of Michael Hooper, but he's a very good player. And he's got, you know, good, good support in that back row. And, you know, this, English, this Scottish team beat France earlier this year in France. Um, they, they, they beat England at Twickenham, you know, last year. And they're a very settled outfit. So I knew it was going to be 
close and and I I thought it would either be one or the other team would win by one or two points and in the end it was uh it was the brave uh, the Scotland Braves it was one of those ones that you could really see it was going to be tight regardless um I think everyone was crediting both sides as being as attacking uh teams and we're quite looking forward to who was going to score the most tries and just how you know free-flowing it would be but really um both teams have had the same defense coach and they've sort of shown that you know they're really the one-on-one tackles were really impressive they didn't really give um either side an inch um as we sort of dive into some of the reasons why the wallabies lost because there are a few things that come into play um Hugh Tindall got in touch saying, uh, you know, remaining upbeat, not going to blame uh, Romain Poit, the TMO, um, who was Marius Jonker. Um, but, you know, to disallow tries, we didn't have Quaid, Karevi, Marika, uh, Tupo, only lost a few minutes for the uh, HIA. Um, Mitch, are any of these valid excuses for why we lost? Is it a combination of all of them? Or, or was there one thing to you that stood out as perhaps why we fell a bit short? It's pretty hard to say that we lost the game because we had a disallowed try in the 35th minute. But when you look at the impact that that decision had on the rest of the game, it was, it kind of, that's where the wheels fell off in terms of game management for us. And it's not, not drilling down to the actual decision, but what ended up happening, we lost Alan Alatoa for 10 minutes. We bring on Tani Tupo as replacement. He goes off with a HIA. 41st minute or something after the half so he's on for five or six minutes uh four or five minutes even and then goes off hia so we've then got no tight head prop to contest with we then shift slipper or bell one of those guys goes into tight head prop. Slipper. was slipper at the start but bell ended up doing it later on um and then we start losing our penalty we start losing all our scrum dominance and we start giving away penalties at the scrum so it's difficult in that we then lose that ascendancy at the scrum time and we aren't able to then make any advances in that in that regard. Um, we were expecting, as Wallabies, we, we know Taniela Tupu can come on in the second half and really change the dynamic of the game and really add that element. Had we not got the yellow card, that wouldn't have happened. So it's kind of like sliding doors moments, um, but it is at, at the same time, like there is... There were so many opportunities there that we could have really iced it at the end. Uh, James O'Connor kicks that ball out. We get the penalty with a few minutes to go. Um, we get the line out in their half. We potentially get a penalty or we drive off the mall. We're looking at a, at a different outcome. And that's the thing. Like we, We've we seen a bit of a Twitter backlash, I guess. A lot of people are quick to blame the ref. Um, but it, there are so many other things that people are pointing to. And one of the things I found the most interesting was... Um, but just like a try where we ended up having El so we get yellow carded. It was also the only passage where we scored a try was while he was off and, you know, that sort of uh, that bounce back from that. I've never seen Hooper look so possessed or so to monitor. He looked like he wanted to eat people. He was <laughs> that, you know, um, aggrieved by everything that had happened. So I actually think there were, there's some benefits to take from that. Um, I do think it was interesting to note that, before the match, um, a lot of the previews were sort of talking about how if we had uh, set-piece ascendancy, we were going to win um, because, you know, the forwards were looking quite strong. But if Scotland were able to maintain, uh, you know, get parity or even overtake us, their backs were just so much better. Um, and I, I don't know if we saw that much of their backs dominating, but which players stood out for you? Who, who do you think was you know, really leading the charge for the Scots or, or perhaps even leading the charge for the Wallabies? 
Well, one of the things I just want to speak to, like it helps with a specific player, but like we actually got pinged in the first two scrums against us for James Slipper hinging. And so whilst everybody can talk about the impact that the yellow cards and the loss of Tupo had, our scrum wasn't dominant from the start. And it was a mess throughout the entire game, which definitely the player players coming in and out definitely affected without a shadow of a doubt. Um, but in terms of the actual players, look, I was, Hamish Russell's a really easy one that you can point to. Um, I thought we did quite well to contain Duan Vandermover. Uh, he is just a, such an explosive and devastating player. We saw that for the British and Irish Lions earlier in the year. He didn't have a particularly um, dominant or impressive game by any stretch of the imagination. Um, so Hamish Watson would be an easy one to point out. Finn Russell as well. Stuart Hogg for me is just consistency. He just does everything well that you want a fullback to be doing and has those moments of just electric pace getting around the outside of a player. And I just love watching that, that man play. So, look, I mean, I've highlighted a few players there, but there wasn't any one person that stood out, I guess, from either team as being particularly a game breaker. And that just comes down to the nature of the game being such a tight and hard fought affair. Yeah. Uh, and you're right. Like, it was a real sort of team performance on both ends. It didn't seem like the any terrible performances or any super standouts maybe here or there you have a few mentioned but um it was just a all in all great battle but the name that come up a lot during our i guess the feedback we got online um is james o'connor so uh, christian willie k uh, commented on twitter saying am i the only one who has never thought of jock as a fly half i uh, just don't get it he's good at super level but haven't quite seen him really nail it for australia uh, and alistair walton also on Twitter saying uh, Jock seems to run across the field, allowing Scotland to move up. Uh, he's sending too deep as well. That fluffed Penrith kick for the sideline later in the match was just not excusable. He didn't seem to test the defense uh, or straight up around the rucks. Scrum struggles happening for HIA. So mentions that as well. Um, Matt, we're, we're in a bit of a rock, uh, sorry, between a bit of a rock and a hard place with uh, the fly half situation at the moment. Is James O'Connor the man to sort of lead us through that? And was his performance as bad as these? Sort of comments are intimating. So look, I've been saying since the Lions series in 2013 that he sh he's not a 10 and he shouldn't have been a 10. Um, at the start of this year, I, amongst others, all celebrated the return of Jock and, and, and looked at what he had done with the Reds through Super Rugby AU and thought, wow, maybe, maybe he's now found his, 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 his niche, maybe he understands the position better. I guess the question is, is him playing 10 for the Reds, Super Rugby AU, is that giving just us all and himself a false sense of, uh, of, of confidence. You know, is he actually an international fly half? And I, we haven't seen it yet. You know, we just, you know, you look around all the other teams, even, you know, the Italians, they've got um, Garbisi who's young and, you know, he looks like a 10 and, you know, every other team has a solid 10. Now, yes, we lost Quaid, but you thought, you would have thought based on form that Jock should have done and could have done a bit more in the game management. I wonder whether they actually could have gone for penalties a few more rather than kicking yep. the sides and just taking that. That, that pressure off, which they were doing at the start of the year, him and uh, more him than, than Hooper making that call. Um, I'm not sure whether that was just, they were getting over, overridden, but you know, those sorts of little moments can then sometimes set them up. And yeah, we just didn't see him stand up at all, unfortunately. It is a shame because, you know, I, I quite like him and obviously with the Reds affiliation, I think, it was great for Super, but yeah, we, we just haven't seen him step up. And one of the comments that um, my brother made, uh, which I thought was interesting and I agreed while watching it, was that he was standing about 10 metres further back than Foley used to. 
and Foley was standing about 10 meters further back than most other fly halves did. He was just so deep. It looked like he was in the pocket, but he was just, you know, that's how they were running their plays. And um, a lot of people brought up the point that we spread it wide so often without actually trying to beat um, those defenders one-on-one that did we test defenses as well as we could have? And is that now going to be something that England can sort of, you know, um, exploit? Because I know we've given away a lot of intercepts against them. I thought the um the 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 the, the one or well, the moment obviously the try was recalled, but when we did score a try um that was then recalled for by Sami taking off Finn Russell, you know that was a perfect executed move off the line out, which I thought was one of our strengths. To be honest, the line yep. out was looking good. Um, but they exploited they, they were targeting Finn Russell in that area, and they just they didn't really return to that. I think you're right. They they kept trying to sort of go out wide and and test the wingers, and when you got a winger like Vandermeer. And, you're not really going to, you know, do much there. But I thought that was a, an area that they could have explored a bit more, especially when um, Parisi came on and you've got, you know, no shortage of ball runners that could sort of um, hit that gap in the middle. Can I just quickly speak to Hunter Paisami there? Because he was the one that did that clear out of Russell beyond the ruck that resulted in a disallowed try. Um, I'm going to say something that, Rev, you're not allowed to yell at me about, okay? <laughs> I've never uh, heard Rev yell. Come on. You're the yeller <laughs> on the pod. No, nah, sure. Uh, I'm really not rating Hunter Paisami's return to the Wallabies at this point. Um, now, <laughs> the reason, Boo. the reason why I think he's, I think he is a messiah, but at the moment he's being a very naughty boy. In that, in so many of, I've just seen him drop out of too many tackles. He goes for the hard hit and see, with like the shoulder and just seems to bounce off without actually wrapping and taking a player down. He's making a bunch of unforced errors in attack as well, and I'm just. I'm not seeing him take on that kind of second playmaker role that we really need from our 12 when we don't have that 15 as a second playmaker as well. He showed moments of that earlier in the year, but he's really not back to form yet. And the, the, I, th- I wonder if we're being too critical on Jock and Pasami, considering that they didn't play for the latter stages of the rugby championship because um, you had Karevi and Cooper there and so they've come back into the team and they need time to bet down their positions and the combinations you, you look I at Ikatao. I, I don't buy that at all because oh. <laughs> well Par- parisi hasn't played much and he came on and literally brought impact in the first couple of minutes and i, I think like at the end of the day if we're going to have players spend all this time in training camps they have to be game ready and they can't afford to sort of take half a game to their way into yeah, it. but Parisi coming in at wing and making a couple of damaging runs is entirely different to a ten and a twelve controlling a game throughout the whole of a match. Like you can, they're, they're not yeah, apples and apples. Played a whole season together with the Reds, they should be ready. They should know this. Yeah. True. Yep, that's a that's I, um, a good point then. Yeah, I think on that point, one of the issues we're falling into the Wallabies at the moment is our lack of planning. I think it's really gone to show with the withdrawal of the uh, Japanese trio that Dave Rennie had his eggs in that basket for this uh, spring tour. He was expecting Quaid and Sam, Samu Krevi to be available and he was expecting to have those players there. Outside of the rugby championship, when we did have those players, we go back to that French series. We didn't have a whole lot of experience in the back line and that's where we were struggling. We're now back into that same situation. We don't have an experienced center or a fly half, even a fullback, who's really able to take control, calm down the players around them, start directing players around and say, this is where we need to straighten up the attack and hit the line. This is where we need to go wide. At the moment, everyone's new. The combinations are new. Everyone has played less than five test matches together. Um, James O'Connor, this is his first start. 
in 10 for the year. Uh, I can't remember how many tests he played last year for the Wallabies at 10, but it wasn't a great deal yet. So two. Um, it's just, it's all fallen to bits, really. Rennie's plan has fallen to bits at the moment. So I think that's where we're really starting to see that we need players like Quade Cooper and Samu Karevi with that experience to lead this back line around. In the forwards, we do have it. We have Michael Hooper. We have Alan Alatoa. Um, yeah, that I, I don't know where we go to from here without players like that. The next best option we've got is Noel Alessio, and we know he's not ready. Outside of Noah, it's Will Harrison. So we don't have he's not even option. with them. <laughs> exactly. We don't have an option. Um, and I don't know. I don't know what we do now moving forward because there's going to be a next. The next two games are going to be very difficult. And that's probably the, the big issues. Likely no Tupo next week. So now they've got a problem in the front row in terms of depth. The Just nice shift thing Latu is, to tight head. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the nice thing is that with at least uh, Alalatoa coming back on, I was concerned we we're going to have two tight heads out of it. But if we've got Alalatoa, I really trust Tom Robertson to do a job. Yep. And it's this funny thing. So between Robertson, Skelton, Rodder, um, Arnold, and Beal, obviously, but uh, many of those first four, they accrued, you know, somewhere between 15 to 30 caps each, um, you know, before Rennie came into the picture. So even though they weren't getting any minutes at all last year, it's nice to think that we can call upon them to do a job and they do have that test match experience. It's not the same as bringing in, um, you know, Pony Farmasuli or, you know, even Noah Lolasio. Um, yeah, yeah. Like all these guys are already um, at least 25 years old. I think Tom Roberts is probably the youngest out of them. He's 26. Um, so they've all got, you know, the aging experience on their side. Um, but we do have some issues. And I, I did want to mention before with um, Pasami, I, I think he had that sort of, um, it, it took me back to the first 15 sort of days where, you know, you see, um, the NBC girls or the Lewis girls that come to watch the game. So all the boys are trying to put on the biggest hit they can to really impress. And, you know, and, and if Mom's they fall the off camera the camera out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're like, it, it's real hollow. It's real. And if they fall off the tackle, they're like, oh, yeah, sorry. Just, you know, a feign the injury. It, it had that sort of appeal. But to me, I, I'm quietly hoping that he's just getting used to his dad's strength. Um, now that he's had the kid, you know, he's getting that extra <laughs> little bit of muscle coming through. He's like, okay, all right. So if I dive that hard, that's, that's going to pay <laughs> off. Um, Rev, but, I have to. I have to ask. I, I, I am interested in your uh, opinion on the what I thought was a pretty solid game from uh, Trevor, the mullet man, Leota. Um, try scoring a uh, game as well, mate. Talk me through what your your thoughts were. Yeah, look, I know you're a big Rob, fan. <laughs> Rob Leota is someone that has rubbed me the wrong way, um, only because he's usurped uh, my my boy Harry Wilson. Um, yeah. And I made the point before um, that I think in terms of just back row stocks, he wasn't super high on the list, mainly because he only played one game for the Rebels at six. He was played as a lock for the most part. Um, but I, I got to compliment him because that line he ran was really nice. Um, his line-out work's been really solid. He does go looking for work as well. Um, I still have that feeling of, is he the best option we could have? Because um, I'm not, not Queenslander. sure. So. He's not a well. He's not, and th that's going to rub me the wrong way for as long as he lives. But um, <laughs> you know, I, I do think he had a good game. And the thing is, every time I've seen him play, I've never thought, "Gee, he's having a shocking game." Um, I have questioned whether he's the best man for the job. But I mean, to his credit, he's putting in performances each week that you know are keeping him this uh, spot on the team. And do I think he, you know, what he did on the weekend is something that Swinton would have done? Probably not. 
Um, I, I do think that hard line running is something that he does have as a bit of a point of difference. So if he starts again there next week, I'm not going to be, you know, swinging from the chandelier, but I can understand it. And I think it's well justified, at least at this point. I think I'm starting to see a pattern now. And I think I've, I'd like you. And sorry, I must apologize to Rob. I called him Trevor. I was thinking of the other <laughs> Leota, um, big Simone prop. Um, like, I'm starting to realize, okay, there is the method in the Rennie selections in, 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 in regards of picking big physical back rollers. The guys that aren't afraid to front up may not have the, the technical sort of um, exploits that other players have. And certainly you see him and Swinton that they sort of, they certainly fill that criteria. So I suppose, and, and that seems to help a lot because he was very active. I don't know how effective he was, but I suppose he seemed to be very busy all around the park, especially in the, uh, in the loose play. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things is when we look to the things that the Wallabies are doing and um, Bart Willis got in touch on Twitter and sort of added to this as well. Um, the lineout has been really impressive. And I think most people jumped straight away to say, okay, well, that's Rory Allen coming in. He didn't miss a single lineout that he jumped for. Well, that's Isaac Rorda because he stole the lineout at the end and, you know, it was a real pest uh, in malls. But we do have to credit um, Hooper isn't a lineout jumper and Valentini's gone up a few times. But really, um, Rob Liotta and Pete Simon, they've done a lot of unseen lineout work. And, um, you know, and I credit to them because that is something that, they've really added to this and i like seeing at the end of a match where some is nearly that front jumper like he's doing a lot of that sort of explosive work to get up so um look that is an exciting part that is an interesting aspect of it but on top of locks being a bit of a question mark from the start of the year the other big question mark was fullbacks and mitch i'm keen to hear what you thought because <laughs> yep because we, we've <laughs> spoken a lot about fullbacks and you know um when banks and hodge were available with you know, sort of toss and change between them and discussing O'Connor or Pattaya and all these other options come through. Um, Mitch, how did you think Kellaway went back there? And does this sort of resemble maybe the best option at the moment? Well, I don't think we have an alternative, really. I mean, Pattaya went off injured again with, what is it, the 12th injury he's had in his <laughs> two-year career? eight games. Eight yeah. games. Um, yeah. And what, actually, in all seriousness, no, what injury did he have? I didn't I didn't pick up what it was. I mean, it have, is it a re, yeah. re-injury of that? When he pulled yeah, up he won't be available in. this week as well. Yeah, so outside of outside of Kellaway, we don't really have an option unless we start Kirtley Bill there. And I don't think anyone's really calling for that at the moment, considering the performance oh, yeah. that he put in this week. Hey, <laughs> you you want to see the return of Burtley? Bill does one bad thing, and then he usually does two or three good things. And going into England at Twickenham, I reckon if we threw in a, a Dalgunu and shuffled around Kellaway. We're putting a lot of pressure on a very uh, inexperienced back three who are going to be getting mm. a lot of pressure, a lot of a lot of rain bombs, a lot of you know. And I think you're right. Kirtley was absolutely ineffectual. Like he really didn't do much. He, he, all he did was really give away that um, that 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 possession at the end. But his face. You know, what other do we have? What other? You're right. I mean, you know, it's not an ideal scenario, but I think it's probably looking at the squad they have and the game ahead of them. Probably the only choice that makes sense, you know, in a ridiculous way. I the big thing that... I didn't think Kellaway was too bad this week. I I thought he was he needed he was where he needed to be. He wasn't as mm. a, in a, as effectual uh, as he has been on the wing, but yep. he's playing a different position. So uh, I thought no, I thought he was very good. His pressure, I thought he handled everything. Pressure, actually, no, it's not a it's not a reflection of the game he played. I think it's just the situation we were in. If, mm. if 
there's no other wingers, you probably want to put him back on the wing where he's going to be, uh, and he can double up you know, out the back with Kirtley. But it's yeah, it's it's going to be tough this week. Has this anyone stuff. heard if we can bring in Tunkelly Nayaravoro? <laughs> I mean, we're throwing everyone else in in Europe. Why not? I mean, theoretically, I guess we could, but I, I kind of like this idea of having um, Callaway back on the wing. Beal goes to fullback. It gives us a second kicking option, which I think it sort of showed we missed. Callaway doesn't have a massive boot. I, I think he's smart tactically, so he knew when to kick and roughly where to put it, but it's not his strong point. Um, he at least got and, it out. I'll say that much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's one better than Jock. And I think we saw a bit of wayward passing kicking from Nick White as well. I think, you know, that's a off night for him. I think, you know, if we put Bill back there, we've got so many more options to work with from that. Plus, Wright and Callaway are two really defensively sound uh, wings as well, which I think we're going to need against England. Um, I, I kind of get the feeling if we have Dunguna out there, maybe we get a few more um, breaks or anything like that, but we probably concede a few more tries. I think maybe you know this is a little bit more solid. Um, I, I'm keen to see, though, Ando, is there any merit in maybe putting Parisi on a wing? Did he do enough to earn a spot there? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think he is just that damaging and incisive runner that we really need within a team. And if we're not getting that go forward from Paisami at 12, but we don't want to disrupt the midfield um, way too much because, I mean, um, what am I saying? Defensively. (laughs) well, basically, we don't want to move Vicatao out of 13. Um, but where's Parisi played most of the season for the Waratahs? He's played at 13 um, with Fiketti inside of him. So if you're mm. not going to put him at 13, because you won't, because freaking Lenny Ikatao is a legend and is playing so yeah. well, uh, then you put him on a wing and you just let him be that strike and impact runner, um, kind of like Marika Corimbetti would be. So just just let him go on, do his thing. Don't expect too much of him from kind of kick kick returns or anything like that and just say... Just, just hurt people and make damaging runs. Go, just be free. <laughs> and I think that that genuinely is a role that he could take into this game that he could do really effectively because he adds a point of difference. Mm. One of the things that we should um, mention as well, because we haven't brought it up just yet, um, we had a mention in the Facebook comments about the Rayburn Shield and from none other than the uh, founder-creator of it, David, uh, who got in touch to say commiserations on losing the Rayburn Shield uh, the World of East can still be very proud of a five-match run with a shield. It is bloody hard to keep hold of for any length of time. It was the one um, trophy that actually mattered. It, the only <laughs> trophy actually, in the no, cabinet. It doesn't matter anymore because we yeah. don't have it. It's the only trophy in the cabinet that actually means anything. <laughs> it's um, it, it, it's exciting because I think a few people have sort of brought up the fact that, you know, this Autumn International Series, there's no table, there's no ladder, there's no prize at the end of it. The fact that the Rayburn Shield exists and is sort of travelling throughout uh, this comp does add a little layer of um, something to it. But Matt, is this something that, um, you know, you're upset to see it go? Is this a, a big loss for the Wallabies to not have that um, silverware? I've, I've put in inverted quotes. Look, I am, and I really enjoyed it. i got to be honest. I, 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 I already miss it. Um, waking up this morning, it was, uh, okay, I'll admit it wasn't the first thing I thought about. But um, <laughs> no, I, I did, I did, I did. I did immediately think about it when I jumped to social media and then saw the tweet. And I was like, oh, yeah, that was kind of cool for, you know, this this sort of, you know, different trophy that, you know, does actually have a meaning. You know, you're the current winner of all the winners. Um, I guess the, the funny thing now is if Scotland are the holders, um, you know, they, their next game is against South Africa. Okay, it'll be annoying if South Africa get it back. 
if they beat South Africa, then the Japan have a shot. Imagine if Japan become, and I think that would be the first time Japan would have been the Rayburn uh, Trophy yeah. winners. So yeah, it's a, it's, 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 it adds a different dimension. That's one of the things that I like is that it could just go so many different places. Like it, it is really a, a global um, trophy. And it's cool that it can sort of get to so many different uh, locations, but look, we've covered most of the big talking points. What, what we probably should do now we had so much fan engagement. I want to go through some I've of the comments. I've got one just... comment just to throw in before we yeah. head off this. And I think one of the issues, a big issue for the Wallabies in this game was our lack of leadership. And I'm not directly attacking Michael Hooper or our, yeah, our, you are. our leaders you this. in this game. <laughs> but there was a few calls that went against us quite early. And I think from the moment that we had that uh, try disallowed, Michael Hooper got on the wrong side of Romain Poit. Uh, for that game. And then the leader for the backs, which was Nick White, who is our next most experienced player, also got into this kind of argy-bargy back and forth with the referee. And so it seemed like in that second half particularly, when we really should have been focusing on ourselves and trying to get the lead back and what we can do and calming down and getting the possession back and getting good territory, it seemed like those two players particularly were actually engaging more with the ref around calls and things going wrong. Every time a scrum collapsed, Michael Hooper's standing there yelling at, at Romain and there was a few times where he told him to be quiet and the same thing happened at the breakdown as well. Nick White's there yelling at the referee. So we lost our two game leaders there because they were too uh, caught up in this kind of controversial thing of the referees against us. We're not getting the calls we need. It's unfair. Where we needed someone else to come in and sort of maybe jock Curtly Beal when he came on. I don't know who it would have been with such a young team, but someone needed to come on and sort of say, guys, we need to focus on ourselves here. Remove that. It's gone. That was 25 minutes ago. Let's focus on the here and now and let's try and lead uh, moving forward. And I think that really um, was the turning factor in that game towards the end. It's a good point too, because that is something that people have brought up for a while is without Hooper, who is the captain or how many leaders do we have? And we've got a lot of experienced options there. It's more so about who do we trust to make the call that's in the best interest of the Wallabies. And, you know, even the people that have uh, captained at uh, Super Rugby level, it's, it's such a jump up the test match when you're thinking constantly about, okay, we need pressure all the time. How can we, you know, get to the corner and, you know, apply that um, pressure through threes or just through territory? So I, I would probably think O'Connor's the man for the job, but maybe after that last performance, he isn't. So It was, it was interesting in this game that O'Connor seemed even towards the later half of the game, he seemed nervous and he seemed out of sort of sorts. I don't know what it was. There was one camera angle when we were waiting for a line out to come uh, and he was sort of talking to Nick White and he had his mouth guard in his hand and he, he visibly gagged as he put his mouth guard into his mouth, which is really unusual for a player to do in like the 65th minute of a game. So he just didn't look comfortable in this. It, I think he was battling a fair bit of nerves coming back to the test arena, being the 10 not starting for the Wallabies for such a long time. Now the pressure's back on him. So again, another leader for the Wallabies who's not completely thinking about the team, potentially thinking a little bit insular. It'll be interesting to see how that goes against uh, England because obviously they're a completely different beast and have a whole lot of different uh, strengths and things to worry about. And whoever's in the 10 jersey is definitely going to be copying a few uh, runs from Manu Tuolangi, provided they name a similar team to last week. So it's not an enviable position. But, but look, we'll uh, segue from that into some of the comments here because we got a lot of um, people chiming in. And 
a lot of reasonable um, responses. I, I like that the pick and drive crew are the, the kind of commenters on Twitter where you want to, you know, have a beer with them and be able to chat about this in a pub. You're not thinking, okay, how can I block them while they still listen? <laughs> you know, like there's a, there's, there's a lot of um, great uh, feedback here. So um, Adam Toomey was getting touched to say, what's the theory on not contesting at the line out? It's giving them a free pass. Um, I'll, I'll just quickly say that the Wallabies have had a few um, issues previously with defending the mall. I think they're just really focusing on that, you know, um, let the other team get up for the ball if it's in a position where they could attack from it and just try and really stop that more from driving through. Because I think our lineup's been really probably our most improved um, facet of play this year. Um, Maya's got in touch to say, was Jock standing too deep, which cut off attacking options? Uh, Matt, I'll throw to you for that. I think he is. I mean, we, we, we discussed that before. I don't know whether he was waiting for the big guys to come in and fill that gap and sort of, you know, run that sort of uh, that second you know, get that shape and all that sort of stuff. But in the end, he was just too too deep and he mm. didn't engage. And I, I want to throw this one to you because this one, um, it, it wasn't so much a a question, but uh, just a comment from Brent Gilmore and uh, Ryan, which is at Celtic334, saying sorely missed Karevi, Cooper and Corambetti. Not much game line presence or play at the line without these guys. So I'll turn it into a question. Which of those three would you have most liked to have seen in that uh, game? Revy, without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, I think that Tom Wright has been playing really well since he's returned back into the starting team. He has, apart from that one brain fade, um, giving away the penalty um, to stop the quick play, he has, he's been really good in defence, in attack. He's beating players. Um, I think he was up there with like the most defenders beaten of the outside backs for Australia in the weekend. And I think that, um, like, like I mentioned before, Paisami has been good, but not great. And uh, Karevi is a massive, massive point of difference for, for him. So, yeah, I'd really be going Karevi as the big person. Um, and that's only because Harry Wilson wasn't listed as an option, I take it. So good work. Um, correct answer. <laughs> um, now, look, we do have a lot of other questions, but it seems like we might have a um, a bit of feedback to come in from one intruder. One intruder. One one extra ring into the uh, rugby rumble, the unofficial. We've got coming from the top rope, angry, fist-swinging, Nelson Dale of Draft Rugby. How are you doing? Good boys, happy to be, you know, amongst it, even if it's for the, the dregs, mate. Happy to, to be here for the end of it. There's no better man to take the dregs than you, mate. Yeah, mate, I've, I've been told that before. Look, I'm sure you guys have done all the intelligent things and talked, you know, some good common sense. So I'm here just to, to ruin that for you. Well, that's, that's nearly perfect because we've got um, a few people just getting in touch, wanting to know a few things. And uh, there, there was one. One uh, comment in particular, I guess, from Lincoln Adler on Facebook. I wouldn't have called it an entertaining game. It was too stop-study. Uh, Alan Alotoa's forearm was an unnecessary action. There are better ways to secure the ruck. Parisi's first run was like, here we go, big bull runner. But as the game continued, he still ran with purpose. Uh, Post-contact fundamentals were lacking. Look, there's one thing in there that sticks out. Alan Alotoa's forearm. We've not really discussed... Um, I'm going to call the most blatant yellow card in rugby history. <laughs> <laughs> but I understand you have a few thoughts about it. So, um, Nelson, the, the stage, the ring, um, the top rope is yours. Look, I'm happy to be, I suppose, coming in late, so be pretty firm on what my views on this are. And, and you guys may disagree, and, and that's okay. But, look, for me, I, I think intent is going to be a really big part of this. Contact was very, very minor, so... 
I think when we're talking head contact, it should be head impact. You know, just because you touch someone's head does not make it dangerous, does not make it, you know, impactful in, in no way, shape or form. Did that impact the game? Did it impact that player or, you know, risk him in having a concussion? It was a, a glancing touch, a glancing, you know, brush of a head rather than a glancing blow even, you know. It, it was very, very gentle. Um, with the player lying, you know, prone on his side, very little area to clear out. You, you can argue that Alan didn't need to clear that out, but, I mean, in that moment, you're going to try to clear that anyone that's around, you know, the ball away to present good fastball. That's pretty common. We see that a lot. And there was very little space for him to get a shoulder contact, and I think he made that shoulder contact very well. So he either had the choice of not doing that or not having his arm anywhere near the player, which means it would be a shoulder charge. So he really did not have any ability to touch that player if he was going to be pinged for a glancing, you know, brush of a player's head, which wasn't impactful enough for the player not even to, you know, shove, shove his head backwards or anything like that. I, I think it was just so minor that it, it's really, by the letter of the law, once it had been looked at, I think, yes, something had to happen. A penalty had to come. And if it is a penalty, it has to be a yellow. But I just don't think it should be looked at in the first place. I mean, what do you boys think? It's one of the things we probably need to discuss is I think the biggest um, talking point from this has been, is this an issue with the interpretation of the law? Like, was it not mitigated enough or were there issues in how it was sort of perceived? Or is the issue in the law itself and that we need to really reword or restructure it so that we don't have you know, what what I would call a pretty soft yellow card. I mean, I agreed with the call based on what we saw, but I don't think the law's the right thing there. I'd, I'd like to see that we do have more mitigation and that something like that, sure, we're not encouraging players uh, making contact with the head, but at the same time, if it's not having an impact on the game, if there's no injury, if there's no, um, you know, real concern for that Scottish player, then I, I don't see why that should um, be such a determining factor. Matt, I'll, I'll throw to you. What's your thoughts on this? Is this an issue with the interpretation of the law? We see this every week, don't we? We see yeah. something that just rubs everyone up the wrong way and then you stop and think, okay, well, what's the objective here? It's about, you know, protecting heads. I, I agree. He, I mean, I guess to one extent, whether or not his intent was to, to hit him in the head or hit him or not is irrelevant because I don't think intent, intent is actually often the main factor it can be a, an aggravate aggregating factor mm -hmm. but you know no one really intends to take someone's head off it's either they just do it because they're they're, they're making a mistake or they're or they all the all the other person's done something i think in this instance it appeared as though exactly right he was trying to get his head around to drive him out he's just clipped him on the way through but my god if anyone's played in the forward pack at any level that happens every day of the week Every rock. The odd, odd <laughs> elbows, odd everything gets clipped. I mean, you know, this is why people come off with little scratches and bruises. Um, so I think, yeah, it was very pedantic. The minute they'd, they'd found it, the minute they, they did slow motion, you knew, okay, they're going to pull this back. I thought maybe a penalty. I thought a yellow card was a bit too much. Um, but I think the, the solution going forward is, you know, the minute anyone gets their head touched, there's going to be a stoppage. They're going to review it. I think the only thing they can maybe look at is is mitigating. And in that instance, I think there was grounds to mitigate it, uh, at least back to a penalty. Um, but, you know, this is probably going to be, certainly at international level, I think this is going to continue to be 
a, a weekly occurrence where a try is scored and they spend 30 seconds uh, quickly reviewing just to see if anything happened in the previous two, two phases. And I think that's one of the most frustrating parts for me is the fact that they seem to be going back and doing that <coughs> review. Um, I kind of just wish that if there was something that the ref identified and asked for it to be called up, then that's the basis for a review of the pre preceding phases. But also a really, a, a point that like in my weaker moments, I'll, I'll use these as a bit of a thing I just like to like to grouse about. But Michael Hooper got a palm to the face um, in, in the immediate little moments after that where the finger goes up into his eye and it's right in front of the ref and it's been caught on camera and a TMO does nothing about that. And yet the TMO will then say it's a yellow card for Alan Alatoa's um, minimal impact of the head of the Scottish player. And even before that, I'm pretty sure that one of our players got a head high tackle in the immediate uh, ruck before Alatoa's yep. um, uh, penalties. Out. Yeah, so look, there's there's just the inconsistency is what's challenging. That being said, I don't think what Rhett made the wrong call. I think the call was correct according to the current laws and framework as they currently exist. Now, whether we disagree with that framework is the thing I think, Nelson, you're kind of pointing out here, um, yeah. which which I agree with that argument. But if anybody was to say it shouldn't have been a yellow card or it wasn't worthy, well, actually, no, it was. It was according I, to the current frame. I will totally say that that, that um, attempted eye gouge, I'm not sure if you got in there, <clears> was totally a, uh, a, a cover-up of the home ground uh, video production. Mm, yeah. Because I can yep. guarantee uh, Jean-Claude's TMO would have just been focusing on the initial events White, White is probably trying to sort of, you know, deal with what's on the ground and, you know, various players in his area. <clears throat> None of them would have seen the replay. Some of the crowd did. I watched it here. They showed it for a frame and then they cut away straight yeah. away. <laughs> and there was no... If that was a home game in Australia, they would have kept replaying that on the stadium um, again and again and again. And, and I think the Scottish uh, production crew did a nice job of, of protecting Ferguson from... Uh, it's, it's kind of funny. A yellow card as well. Yep. It's kind of funny. Like, I love that home ground advantage. There's a part of me that thinks that shouldn't exist. And there's a part of me that just says, just do it. Just love it. Yeah. And that's just the nature of home of ground advantage. Yeah. And that's the I thing. Mean, so just embrace it. The the answer to that question is the same as the water boy situation that we're sort of finding ourselves in currently is you need to bring in a neutral uh, camera crew and a neutral water boy system to get rid of those won't sort of happen. things. So did, stuff it. Did you guys see um, uh, what's the big board coach, the Petrus. South African player for us? Yeah. I don't know if you guys picked yep. it up on the yep. camera, um, but he, he was walking along <laughs> and <sort laughs> yeah. of commented that he might be in the bit of a, uh, which I thought was a nice little uh, off camera. I think it was good having Amazon covering this because I'm not sure if they knew where things get say on the rugby fields. I heard a few salty yeah. words throughout the match and I think they're still testing <laughs> I, their microphone I, levels. I thought that was brave having the camera actually picking up all audio when he was walking back. I think that was pretty cheeky to be able to have that, you know, stream to everyone because he was probably going to dob himself in a little bit with what he was doing if he wasn't going to say, you know, something even worse. But yeah, yeah look, I, I just don't think there's any way of, you know, stopping that home ground advantage um, I just, I, again, it, it feels like looking for an excuse not to award the try in the lead up, not letting the ref make a call when he is three feet away from what's going on. You know, I, everything looks a lot worse when you slow it down. But I mean, we slowed down their driving more try, which is clearly not a try. So, and, and we let that go. So something's just uh, always going to baffle you. But 
I think really if it can happen 100 plus times in a game and not one other person gets penalised and you can stop a try and yellow card someone, something's out of whack a little bit. I think in this particular situation, the main issue is that it happened in the lead up to a try. And so mm. under the current rules, you can go back two or three phases to check. And that's where it happens. There was an incident that happened in the like the 78th minute. Isaiah Parisi has the ball goes into contact, gets absolutely coat-hanged. He has an arm right on, over his neck and he knocks the ball forward from it. And then remains standing there and he says, knock on, play on. Mm-hmm. Had that gone to the TMO, that could have been ruled as uh, head-high contact, touch the, touch the face, low force, it's the same thing. The fact is a try scored. So they're looking through every single thing in those three phases leading up to a try to make sure that no one has done anything wrong. No one is standing a centimetre offside. No one has touched the ball with their finger before picking it up. Is, it's almost is as right? if we're trying to, yeah, as you said before, trying to yeah. find a reason to not allow a try. I, I don't think that should be the role of the video ref. You know, like the, the video ref should be able to check those things if the ref wants that scene. But, I mean, if he picks up this tiny little thing that, you know, you have to watch 10 times before you decide it was bad or what's going to happen. Like, and he was, he was pushing for a red card, mind you. So I think Pratt really didn't have much option. He mitigated it down to a yellow. So I don't think it really was on him, to be honest. But I just don't think that should be our intent when a try scored. Can we find anything that can lead up to this that may say this is not a try? Because really, I mean, that's, that's getting away from the point of the game. If it's about player safety, sure. Look for things that are going to, you know, be at risk for a player. But that's not, that was not about player safety. That was trying to find something within the laws to stop that try. Look, if Friday afternoon touch footy at work has taught me anything, is that we love tries and you should be finding any opportunity to award a try. And I think if that's the spirit of rugby, that's something I could be getting behind. Yep. I think, um, did you guys see Squidge put up a post before the match saying being Pride's last um, match refereeing, he should just let every try happen. Not, you know, not go up ever and just let every try play for, for the fun of everything. Last day. He definitely did, unfortunately. Romain Pride looks like he was having fun, though. He was high-fiving players, high-fiving the the, the sideline. I don't know, maybe he's he's, he's done his dash and he thought, you know what, I'm going to go out, um, I'm going to make a few calls. And um, perhaps this was actually a good game for him, all things considered. (laughs) (laughs) Do you guys know our record with him? (laughs) Yeah, Uh, three from 12, I think it is now. It's not not good. On top of that, I think uh, in the last five games... We've got four yellow cards from him or something, and yeah. uh, zero against the other team. But, so, but on the flip side, you then look at what does that mean? Doesn't that mean that we should be more cautious? Like, how many times have we played club rugby when we've seen the same referee we've had who's terrible and all this, and we say we know <clears> this ref is bad. Let's be careful at the ruck zone, or let's be careful. Let's not be offside. And I think when you look at then things like Isami driving Finn Russell way off the ruck, you know silly silly errors like that you know this is when you have to think okay there's going to be things out of our control tmos deciding to you know make calls but we still have to be absolutely perfect with our discipline. And, it's, and perhaps we weren't. 
it's like you, we didn't do the homework on the ref. You know, like we, we do so much homework on the, the other side that we totally forgot about yeah. who the ref is and, you know, Northern Hemisphere refs, French referees. This stuff's going to happen. And it happens, it seems to happen to us every time. You know, we, <laughs> we get ref by Northern Hemisphere ref. We, some of this off the ball stuff, we got away with against South Africa. We got away with against France. I mean, it was clearly there, like the driving past the ball, that, that stuff against South Africa was, you know, every breakdown, it was part of our game plan. So we can't be too surprised when we do get pinged for that. But I mean, when you've got a pedantic ref around these sorts of things, it really feels like a little bit of a failing on our behalf to think that we can just get away with that. And yeah, it's a bit of a failing for me. Maybe, maybe, we'll maybe we'll have Ben O'Keefe at Twickenham next week. And Rev, you can um, just make, send him a message, say, say hello. Um, Butter him up with some you, sweet you, nothing. Send him now. some really nice stats that England don't do quite so nicely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like going back yeah. to my previous point around some of the game management and the leaders, there, there was a few incidents that happened early on that we, we like Tom Wright gave away that penalty uh, for slowing the ball down. Earlier in the game, Finn Russell got tackled in goal and he's standing up and going off at the referee and there's um, Tom Wright standing there like high-fiving him and like getting yeah. in his face. It's like yeah. that's when a, a game leader needs to go pull your head in. Yeah. This game's tight. We can't afford to give away penalties or points here. And he goes and does it again and we get penalized for it. So mm. that's where we need a leader who's looking at the overall picture and not so much... The little things. I agree. Look, I think we've um, been talking for so long because we've got so many um, great things to talk about and obviously a very impromptu rumble, which um, a little treat for for the millions <laughs> the listening. It's a teaser for what's to come in the next it's few weeks. Monday night, it's the classic Monday night rule. No, no, no structure, chaos, <laughs> people going in everywhere and we're all getting ready for the big pay-per-view in a couple yeah. of time. It's a taster. What I want to do very quickly before we go is it's rare to have five rugby minds together that know so much and five goes into 15 so easily. I figured why not pick our best uh, combined 15 for England, our best chance to crack through. So I'm just going to roll through the numbers and I'd love us all to pick who we think should start there and <clears throat> just to see the genius behind us. <laughs> um, and, and a massive apologies to Harry for not making the top five. Um, look, we saw the fantasy season, better luck next year. But um, <laughs> but I think we've got the makings of a very good team here. So Dave Rennie, listen up. Mitch Foster, I'm going to start with you. Who's wearing a number one jersey? Number one uh, slipper. Lovely. I've not much to say on top of that. Matt, who's our hooker? Look, I I, I thought um, uh, Flanger did a. Is it Flanger? Yep. yep. Yeah. 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 Flanger did Flanger. I keep forgetting whether he's back back <clears> in the fold or not. But I thought he did a, a reasonable job. I, I wouldn't. No reason to, to to put him on a bench or take him off after that effort. Lovely. Keep him the same. Ando? Three. Um, probably Al Nelator again. I'm assuming that Tupo, if he does make the team, will still be just a little bit underdone because he won't have trained at full level all week. Mm. Um, so bring him on. And I still think he's better coming off the bench. So, yeah. Is there actually a chance that he can play? Isn't yeah, there like yeah, a 10-day um, protocol? No, no, no. Dave Rennie clearly said after the game that he still has time to be back um, if if he passes everything. Because I thought um, if he lost consciousness, it adds days. And I f he very nearly did. Yeah, but he, I, he, uh, I think it does, but he didn't lose consciousness. Okay. So, um, yeah, it'll be a miracle if he comes back, I reckon. But if he does, that's great for us. Nelson, who's your number four? 
Look, I, I suppose it depends who the partner is, but for me, I, I think I'm going to see Rory Arnold there again. I think he did a well, well enough and built mm-hmm. into the game pretty well. Lovely. Well, I'll chuck Rodder back in there because I thought his work rate was awesome. I'd probably say up there with Ikatao, our best performer from the weekend. Yep. Uh, Mitch Foster, we're back to you. A lot of pressure. Who's in that six jersey? Lockie Swinton. Hey, love it. Sorry, can I can I challenge anything? <laughs> just going for the home ground advantage. We just need We're more eight. tars in the twenty three. I mean, Matt, unfortunately, we signed up for picking our best team collectively. This is this is the hive mind. This is uh, <laughs> it's genius in motion. So, um, Harry Wilson, eight. Yeah, <laughs> well, Matt, you've got the tough ask of uh, number seven. Who fills that role? Gee, I wonder. Yeah, I wonder. Can, can we get? Um, Maybe we could get uh, Fraser McRide on a plane. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think, uh, mate, the captain, hopefully he's uh, he's going to bring his A game as he always does. Oh, he sure will. Uh, Ando, number eight jersey. Valentini. No need to change. He's doing great. Lovely. Uh, Nels, nine. For me, this is, is probably a tough one. I, I actually think... And it's probably against my logical brain. I, I want to see Tate there. I, I want to see a little bit of the combination with the man outside of who I'm sure was going to be named. Um, yeah. I think they've got a good combo, and I think he helps unleash James O'Connor better. Um, so I think I want to see Tate get a crack. Lovely. Well, you, you knew me too well. I'm going to put uh, Big Jimmy at number 10. Um, Mitch, who's your left wing? Who's in number 11? Number 11. Uh, so that was this week was Tom Wright, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, I'll go with Filippo Dalgunu. Oh, nice. I like. Are you changing it up? I like it. We've got Swinton. We've got Dalgunu. I think there. it's time. I think it's time that Rennie has the Reds backline or the backbone in his team. Yeah. We haven't seen enough Reds players this year. Been preaching it for a few weeks now. Let's just do it. I get the feeling that Matt is nearly burning from the inside. His robes just going to disintegrate soon um, with all these selections going against. Um, Matt, who, who's your 12? Who would you like to see at inside centre? Um, I, I, I wouldn't be changing the back line that much this week, so I'm going to stick with Paisami, and I think he'll um, hopefully uh, link up and, and, and correct some of his errors. He did some good things. So Yeah. yeah. Yep. Nice work. And Ando, you'll keep 13 the same? Yeah. Lenny, just love his work. Reliable Lenny. Keep him. Lovely. Well, Nels, this comes down to a bit of a tussle because uh, you might have missed a bit of our chat beforehand about what our sort of fullback situation looks like this week. But who would you put at the 14 jersey, given we've got Dunguna on the left wing? It depends how much I've been drinking at the time when I named the team. Um, <laughs> but look, I, I think you've got to, if you're going to have Dalguna on one wing, you're going to have to have a stable winger on the other wing. I don't think we need to go all punch. Um, and I suppose it's going to throw us front of the works for you, which is another reason why I might do it. So I'm going to say Andrew Kellaway. Yes. <laughs> nice. Yes. nice. Andrew Kellaway at the right wing, which means 15. We've got to go for someone who much maligned. Um, I didn't want to see him in there last week, but he made it anyway. Fullback <laughs> jersey's got to go to Rob Liotta, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course. Kurt Isn't Lee it Harry Wilson? <laughs> hey, Harry Wilson, I want there. That, that's a completely <laughs> different. Uh, set up. But yeah, no, I think we discussed before, Kurtley Beale's kicking game could add a massive dimension to this team. So, um, look, I think that's a pretty formidable team. I, I like that um, we stuck to script a little bit. We've got um, Mitch out here just you know, causing a bit of havoc. He, he woke up and chose violence this week, and I, I like it. He's He's got the, the right idea, and I think no matter how the game goes, I, I liked Ando's comment before that we're seeing progress. We're seeing a team that, you know, should just keep ticking through. Um, I don't think we're expected to win, 
So any result better than maybe a, you know, just getting thumped could uh, see a few positives coming out of it. Yeah, look, I, I don't think much has changed for me, you know, prior to this match last night or this morning. I, the, the Wallabies are in the same position I thought they were. I, I think I would have loved to get that win because I, you know, I thought we needed a couple wins on this tour. And this week's going to look even harder for us, especially off the back of that. And if we do have a couple injuries, but I think we're exactly where we were a week ago. So we're, we're still a bit of the underdog coming into this match. We know if we can put our puzzle pieces together and things click, then, you know, we, we could beat in England. We, we have all those puzzle pieces there, but it, it's going to be something that, you know, we, we really need our leaders to stand up. We really need our playmakers to stand up. And, and for me, James O'Connor could be the one to unlock that because he played very deep. And, and I think that was a, a bit of a mistake for us this week. So if he can flood it up a little bit, take it to the line, which I think he can do outside Tate, we, we've got potential outside him that we can unlock. Man, Ikatao has been good. <laughs> and, you know, and just this, there's so many players that, you know, really know how to finish around him. So, if that nine ten axis can be solid for us, you know we've we've got a chance in this one. But I, I think we really just want to keep seeing that improvement. Yeah, look, I, I can see the regret in Ando's eyes for letting me run this section because I've just <laughs> let it run for way too long. And I do apologise because in Queensland it is an hour earlier, so it's probably getting quite late. But at a clock, um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, look, plenty of fun uh, chatting about this. I'm I'm very glad we were able to get. Um, so much of the gang back together for it as well. Very um, spur of the moment. So uh, plenty to like from the week that was. Plenty to like about what's coming up. Um, I, I'm, I'm excited and I think we are as well. Um, Matt, Nelson, thanks for coming on. Uh, Mitch, Ando, thanks for carrying the hosting duties and you know, <laughs> making uh, my transition here in the back end just look a little bit amateurish, but hopefully plenty of fun for the listeners. No, so. it's, been, it's been great fun. Nelson, if people want to find you and the Draft Rugby boys, where do they find you? Basically on all the socials, uh, I think at Draft Rugby. So we're normally talking a bit of nonsense. I've also got my own Twitter page, which is filled with lots of nonsense. Um, so yeah, at, at Nelson Dale or at Nelson Scoop Dale, I think is um, <laughs> the, the term there. Awesome. And Matt? Uh, Gold Digger Rugby on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Brilliant. And can you tease uh, a rough time frame on when people might be able to see the Gold Digger documentary? I, I was hoping before Christmas, but at this point in time, um, it's really hard to tell. <laughs> We're already in November. Um, I really, I don't want to give you a, a, a false sense of, um, yeah, it's, it's hard. It's actually hard. And I, okay. it's, a lot. it's probably a podcast episode in and of itself. <laughs> yeah, that'd be that'd be pretty fascinating. Anyway, maybe that's for the uh, Christmas, the fallow, the fallow weeks of January. We're all trying to find something to talk about um, in the intervening time until Super Rugby kicks in again. But, ladies and gentlemen, it has been an absolute pleasure having you listen to us. I've enjoyed it, and more importantly, for everybody here, it's been an absolute pleasure talking rugby with you. No one else I'd rather be here with on a Monday night just talking crap about the Wallabies. It's so much fun. <laughs> so, have a wonderful night. Have a wonderful evening, everybody, and we will see you next week. Go the Wallabies. <laughs> <laughs>